FX Medicine and the Naturepreneur Experience 2020 are proud to present the inaugural X Factor Awards. Join us on the 15th of February at QT Hotel on the Gold Coast as we celebrate the incredible diversity and inspirational people who make up our community. The X Factor Awards will recognise leadership in eight distinct categories and nominations are now open. For more information, click on events under the community tab at fxmedicine.com.au. Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining us on the line today is Julie Cottle, who works in the Blackmores Advisory Team with a special focus on infant nutrition and maternal and infant healthcare. Julie is an international board-certified lactation consultant and a naturopath who has been supporting new mothers and their babies since 1998. Welcome to FX Medicine. Julie, how are you going? I'm going really well. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me on the show today. Now, first, can you tell us a little bit about your history? Which did you do first, naturopathy or lactation consultant? Um, I did naturopathy first. So I was um, straight out of high school and straight into naturopathy. Um, I found um, in my final year of studying naturopathy that um, I became really, really interested in preconception, pregnancy and um, postnatal aspect of naturopathic care. I sort of really came to see that as um, the beginnings and where there is the most potential to make um, a big difference in um, a person's life um, and their health throughout their life. Um, so I finished um, naturopathy in 1998 and um, worked for about a year before I decided to have my own family and um, that's I guess where a lot of my learning really began mm. um, by applying this stuff that really fascinated me while I was at college to my own life and um I remember when I was pregnant, um, I went to visit a friend who had a baby and it was um, probably really the first exposure that I had to actually caring for a baby. And um, she told me all the things that I should um, learn about before the baby comes along. And um, one of those things was breastfeeding and I hadn't really given it a lot of thought up to that point but I thought oh yeah she's right I really do need to learn about this. Um, I became a member of the Australian Breastfeeding Association so that I was all um, set up and ready to to go when I had my baby and um, I found that that knowledge and support was totally invaluable to me um, in the first year or so um, of my my older baby's life yeah. and um, I then went on to uh, become a breastfeeding counsellor and um, saw how many mums out there really, really need the help during the postnatal period. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Any future parents in Australia at least are bombarded with antenatal education and care, but the aspects of postnatal care and wellness are mostly ignored. So what do you mean by postnatal wellness? Um, 
Well, I guess I mean that um, it's the feeling of um, being ready to take on the new role and um, capable of taking on that new role and um, doing it in a way that um, doesn't have you spiralling into um, overwhelm and, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that can end in um, postnatal depression or anxiety and um, just real inability to cope. Yeah. It's just I remember this total period of there is no instruction book for this. The, mm. It was just like, here you go. It's like being given a car. You have no no idea how to it, – it, here we go. It's like turning on a Tesla. <laughs> it's like there's no instructions. There's no knobs or switches. Everything is done via the pad. This is yes. what I've been told. I've never driven one. But they just say it's this total new concept of getting into a car and starting it and working it. It's So it's really alien to somebody that's been using a normal car in, you know, the old way. Um, mm. Similarly with babies, not anyway, similarly with babies, there is just this period of overwhelm. Mm. Yes. Even when things go perfectly and by the textbook, which doesn't exist. Yeah, I was just, which textbook? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, even when everything is perfect, it's such a major transition and an incredibly steep learning curve and a time when mum's trying to learn all of these new skills and master these skills um, under intense pressure. Yeah. And and the pressure is both internal and external. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and the circumstances um, that mum's having to, to do this under are, are incredible. Mm. Lack of sleep and recovering from an incredibly gruelling physical time, it's definitely not an easy task. No. And, and we, we need to be supporting mums in this time if we expect them to be able to um, come through those demands um, without suffering for it. There can be this enormous pressure placed on women, especially these days, about what is the perfect birth. Sometimes I look at it and think that it's um, it's how we respond to the situation as individuals and that, that sometimes I feel that people feel a lot of that pressure and I wonder how much of it is coming from other people and how much of it's coming from um, ourselves. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I do spend too much time reading the comments on social media <laughs> at times, and you do see that there is a lot of um, a lot of people projecting their own um, expectations onto other women, and um, the solidarity and the sisterhood can be really helpful in 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 this um, time can really help to to lift each other up um, and support each other. And I don't feel that it's um, helpful for us to be questioning other people's um, uh, decisions when we don't have the knowledge on why they've made those decisions. Yes. So what sort of aspects does postnatal wellness include? We've obviously got the physical aspects from recovering from the gruelling um, marathon of birth, which like this is the talk about normality. You know, you can get anything from two, three hours to more than a day. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, it can be a marathon 
um, for the woman. So how do you care for somebody? How do you prepare them for that journey to then look after themselves postnatally? It's such an incredibly difficult thing to prepare for, I think, because um, it's such such an unknown. Um, you can go into um, birth with a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding of what it is that you may face and um, go in with a great birth plan and have a good good understanding of how you want things to, to go and how you are going to be able to, to cope with all of those things. But that's not necessarily how it, how it will work out. No. Um, and I think a good postnatal care plan needs to um, be able to take into account all eventualities that, that happen um, before a birth. And um, I, I think it's, it's important to think beforehand and to have even a written plan, just like a birth plan, to have a postnatal care plan um, that allows time for um, physical rest and recovery, as you say, but also that takes into account um, the emotional and the social aspects um, that, that change in a woman's life once she has a baby as well. Yeah. So immediately postnatally, you know, obviously the, the hospital staff are going to care for that woman, depending on how much time she spends in, hos- in hospital. I think it was interesting from the birth of our two kids, um, the nurses were incredible. Um, mm. I, I, actually, I'm going to qualify that. The full-time staff of the hospital were incredibly compassionate, organised and caring. I mm-hmm. did found there was a discrepancy between the agency nurses, and I get that there's a reality there, and mm-hmm. but there's maybe that's a continuity of care issue, but I mm-hmm. did find a difference. Um, but I was so thankful for how they cared for my wife's needs with the knowledge of, you know, that she's going to need some time, that you get the, you know, the three-day blues, that she's going to need some physical recovery. And so to limit the well wishes, um, to allow my wife to get a a good amount of rest, um, Mm. and, and bonding with our sons, you know, which was just beautiful, I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think, um, that, that time can be either completely overwhelming with visitors, um, or it can be this lovely, lovely process of yeah. the family coming together with a new family member and getting to know each other and, and bonding. And it's it's really, really important in those first few days. Um, if you can do it in hospital, great. If you can do it at home, then fantastic. But it, it's really important to just spend time snuggling with baby and smelling baby. Yes. And, isn't, that, um, isn't that interesting? We like to think mm. of ourselves as humans rather than animals. <laughs> we still want to it's, sniff a baby's head. <laughs> that's right. It's such an instinctual time and all of those instinctual things that we don't even know that we're doing, like getting a good sniff of a baby's head, <laughs> um, those things are all so important for um, our hormone production and, and that that can change um, the way that a mother's milk comes in. Um, the, the opportunities for snuggling and, and bonding for both mum and dad um, in those very early days and especially the very early hours cannot be underestimated. Oh, absolutely critical. But of course, there can be issues with 
milk letdown process, whether that be emotionally connected or whether that indeed be physically connected. Like for instance, breast augmentation these days is so common. What do you find the issues are there with regards to breast augmentation? More of an issue, no issue? Lead us through that. It can certainly be challenging for um, women that have had breast surgery. Um, some it, It's very individual. Some people will have no problems whatsoever and will be able to breastfeed. Um, others will have significant problems breastfeeding. Um, if, it depends on how well the surgeon's done the job and whether they've given um, consideration to whether a woman or, may or may not want to breastfeed in the future. Um, so as with most things in health, it's a very individual thing. Um, but if a woman has had breast augmentation and um, is planning to breastfeed, then it really is something that she should think about during pregnancy and be aware of um, the signs that things are not going well and Part of her postnatal care plan needs to be um, who am I going to talk to about um, how to deal with things when they do go pear-shaped. Yes, because they will. Yeah, <laughs> they will, that's right. Oh, my goodness, I remember. I can still remember. Lee. Lee, my wife, Lee, is the most competent, compassionate lady ever, and yet Lee even had her issues. She was just at mm. wit's end with, you know, our firstborn, fussing at the breast and, you know, oh gosh, I remember all of this cracked nipples and all sorts of issues. Mm -hmm. um, and Lee, at one stage, we just called the lactation consultants who were just, I've got to say, worth their weight in gold. Mm -hmm. And they came in, took control and got Lee some rest. And that's what Lee needed. Yes. Some practitioners may have knowledge about the various support, but when should mothers start planning for intervention should any issues arise? Yeah, that's such a tricky thing and I've, I've got four children myself and I, I found um, with each and every one of them I've just been thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that I have the knowledge that I have because I don't know where I would be without it. Um, as care providers, I think it's really important to screen for um, all of the issues that that may potentially come up and... Um, to take the time to really understand what's going on for a mum and what kinds of issues she may face. So um, this kind, I've, I've said before that this kind of postnatal care planning really should take place during pregnancy. You, you need to have an understanding of what can go wrong and how I'm going to fix it or how I'm going to cope with that when it does, when and if it does um, come up. But that's the role of the healthcare professionals that are, are caring for pregnant and um, postpartum women um, yeah. is to, to educate during pregnancy and to educate again after pregnancy and don't count on the fact that mum's going to be able to necessarily articulate what's going on for her. Um, they need to be quite preemptive and think about the sorts of things that she may be up against. What are some of the issues facing breastfeeding mothers and what are some of the red flags that we need to be aware of? Okay, well, I like to um, cover physical, emotional, social and functional aspects of life um, in the postpartum period and, and you'll find every woman has got, um, will probably be coping quite well in one of those areas and, and really 
flailing in, in another aspect. So um, the physical stuff we've kind of touched on and generally that um, the physical things that are going to affect her most are likely to be breastfeeding related or, or um, related to recovery from pregnancy. Um, but it, it is important to to ask mum how is the breastfeeding going? Um, how like and to really take quite a good detailed history of of what's happening with both her and the baby and whether she feels like baby is getting enough. Does she feel that there is anything wrong? And then if she does flag anything, to make sure that you um, refer her on to appropriate um, care. Yeah. Um, so I would say um, for breastfeeding issues. Really, an international board certified lactation consultant is the right person um, to refer to because um, you need to have really, really strong breastfeeding specific knowledge and um, a lot of um, a lot of hours of um, experience under your belt before you can even sit the exam. Yeah. Um, for that one. So, um, and, and often if baby's fussing at the breast or there's a supply issue, most of the time those things can be resolved with um, one-on-one support. Um, and the other aspect of that too is um, if you are providing breastfeeding support, a really simple um, practice to promote is skin-to-skin contact um, for bubs, when they're young, but even as they get older, if um, mum feels that she's having any kinds of supply issues or attachment issues or something's just not going right, sometimes the simple intervention of telling mum to snuggle baby um, without her top on and to have baby with no top on and to be snuggled up skin to skin can make a really big difference Mm. um, very quickly. So... Uh, looking at the emotional aspects um, is also really important for caregivers um, and often um, the emotional um, components will revolve around perhaps um, expectations, not meeting reality, um, mum feeling just overwhelmed and um, not not able to to cope with with the new um, way of being. Ah, um, that's yeah. an interesting one. Mm. Um, she may be really devastated about what's happened um, maybe in her pregnancy or in her birth. Um, there may be unresolved trauma and that's um, such an incredibly important thing to address. Unresolved trauma can cause um, all sorts of emotional and, and functional um, difficulties for, for mums throughout that first year or first two years or whatever. I mean, it's something that can have a profound impact. Um, and are you talking about emotional trauma or are you talking about physical trauma having an emotional impact? Like, for instance, um, a pisiotomy, you know, an, uh, mm. an unexpected birthing outcome, uh, unexpected pain, unexpected um, um, gelling between the plan and the and what ha- actually happened. As you said, the expectations versus reality. Is this the trauma that you're talking about, or the emotional trauma of change? Um, look, I'd say I, I was talking more about the physical aspects that you just spoke about, but that um, emotional trauma of change is is a big thing as well. But 
Um, certainly the birth trauma and um, all of those physical aspects that you spoke about um, can cause PTSD symptoms and that's something that can really benefit from appropriate referral. The, the emotional aspects of change and the, the, um, the change, like, let's face it, it's a completely new life from the time that you go into the hospital to have your baby to the time you come out. It's, you've, you've taken on a completely new role and almost yeah. transformed into a completely different person. Yeah. Um, and and you have. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> it's a different life and um, that can be shocking for some people and sometimes people just need to talk about all of that and I think that's where mothers groups can be quite helpful when they're supportive rather than, as you mentioned before, when they're sort of a little bit more competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. When do you find there's a difference and how do you tell the difference between... I glibly say this, forgive me, but normal overwhelm, I, I know, forgive me, uh, normal overwhelm versus the beginnings of a stress disorder, a, a post-traumatic stress disorder or postnatal depression. When do you find, what's the red flag? Well, postnatal depression, anxiety, PTSD, all of those things, the symptoms are the same, whether it's happening in a person that's recently given birth or, or not. So the symptoms that you would look at, very similar symptom pattern. But I guess what it comes down to is um, does mum feel that she's able to cope with this? Is this um, affecting her life in a way that's just making things unbearable? Um, is she able to sleep? Is she able to um, Is she able to cope and get through? And um, is she able to do that in a way that um, improves her life or is it a destructive thing in her life? Yeah. And I, I think if there's any kind of destructive element there, then um, she really should be properly assessed by, um, I prefer um, to refer to a psychologist that has a lot of experience with um, perinatal mental health and that there are plenty of um, psychologists around that do specialise in that area right. um, and, and they can be really helpful. So what about things like an admittance of disconnectedness with your child? Yeah. Um, again, that can be just a normal part of um, bonding, but so not everybody feels that connection immediately. I've, as sure. I said before, I've had four children and um, that experience of connecting to the child has been different for each one of them. Yep. Um, it's not always immediate, and um, but, but if, if it's not immediate and it's not growing and um, mum, is, mum mentions it and she feels that it's um, something that's really bothering her, then it's really important to um, talk to somebody about that and yeah. to be properly and, and it's a big thing for a woman to admit that because it goes against the social norm, the mores, mm, you know? Absolutely. It's um, often connected to a real feeling of um, failure. Yeah. It's really interesting how we have this textbook guideline, as you say, and basically I think there's your textbook. It, there's your textbook. It's got 500 pages. Rip out page 1 to 499 and there you go. That's what you really work with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. It's such an individual journey. How do we define social and functional health? 
Um, okay. Well, social um, aspects refer to um, your relationships with people and um, bringing a new baby into the world can um, change those relationships quite dramatically. Um, I guess the most significant one is your relationship with your partner. Um, for a new a new mum, all of a sudden she will go from being a wife or a partner to um, being a mum and that's almost all she can cope with at that time, like just learning that new role and um, keeping uh, that connection to the baby and making sure that she's always available to um, meet the needs of this helpless little human that she's brought into the world. Um, that can be very overwhelming and other relationships often um, suffer as a result of that. And that can, I, I have seen that that can cause um, problems for mum often leading to feelings of guilt and that she's maybe neglecting other other parts of her life. Um, I think it's, it, it, dads in particular feel that disconnect um, early on in, in a baby's life. Um, they often wonder what their role is, particularly mm. with, with newborns. I don't know how you found it, but I, I know um, my husband was kind of, like, oh, well, where do I fit in? <laughs> <laughs> what I found really, really useful is actually books, you know, the, the um, How to Be an Expectant Dad. I think it was a Steve mm. Biddulph who wrote that. And then there's, yeah, yeah The Expectant Father. That, that was um, um, Jennifer Brott. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's some really good books out there for fathers to cope. Yeah, there really are. There's another one that I love, Beer and Bubs. Beer um, and Bubs, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a, a good little resource. Self-explanatory title. They'll be able to find yeah. it. And we'll put up these <laughs> yeah. references on the fxmedicine.com.au website oh, as well. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Great. So forgive me. Continue. Yeah. Um, I guess another really important as, uh, social relationship that changes after a, a mum has a baby is that with her own mum often um, there can be unwanted Support, yeah. unwanted and overwhelming support from loving family members that yep. just want to help. There can be a lot of um, advice that is given and expected to be taken where maybe the new mum doesn't particularly want to be doing things the way um, the way her mum thinks that she should be doing it and that, that can cause a lot of problems. Um, she can be perhaps feeling neglectful of other relationships in, in her life as well. Um, somebody that might have had a good close-knit group of friends may all of a sudden not have time to see them or um, no desire to, to go out and socialise anymore. So a lot of her social circle may fall away too. You get the, you get the great stories about friends having you know, births that they're having at the same time and they're sort of, you know, comparing and contrasting and, and enjoying the journey. And then you'll get people that they're in a, a circle of nulliparous women and, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of them becomes pregnant, starts a family. Their whole focus has to change. Yeah, it's a, it's a very profound change. Yeah. Um, it, it took me a, a long time to even recognise that, that um, those relationships had um, moved in some way. 
What about functional health? How does that differ from social health? Functional health um, refers to uh, how capable a mum is feeling. So um, how how well she feels she's able to manage the um, the mundane parts of life or things like feeding herself and feeding her baby and um, keeping a house functional, um, whether she's able to get out and get some exercise and um, or take the baby out for a walk, um, how capable she's feeling of of managing life, I guess, during that time. Um, So for some women, it's really, really important for them to um, have a tidy house and to um, have a nutritious meal on the table every night. And it may not necessarily be um, an easy thing (laughs) to maintain during that time after she's had a baby. You know, some, some mums will be able to snap back to... Um, snap back to work even within six weeks, but others are still struggling to get up and um, have a shower every day um, six months down the track. And and both of those, I think, are, are normal adaptations um, during that time. It just depends on what she wants to focus on, really. Right. So, so I guess my question comes in about if they're not showering and, and just doing the simple acti- um, daily activities of living, mm. um, where do you make a judgment to say this is not quote unquote normal, this is actually dysfunctional if you're not coping with these simple daily tasks and therefore you're putting yourself and your child at risk? Like mm. how, where's that line? Um Again, I would put it back to how she feels it is. Like if she's if she's saying, "Okay, well, I haven't I haven't been able to have a shower today, but that's okay. I'll have one tomorrow, and it's fine." Yeah. Then that's um, I think that that's fairly reasonable. But if if she's saying, "Look, I I can't. I'm I'm just not interested in looking after myself. I can't be bothered." Um, and if that's going on for days or weeks at a time, then um, that's that's an important red flag. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. Impo- how important do you think the feeling of guilt is with this? Um, I think guilt can be overwhelming for a lot of mums and it's just such a common emotion. I think every new mother feels guilt on some level. I haven't spoken to a new mum yet that hasn't expressed guilt of some description to wow. me in, in that um, first year. Yeah. With regards to how she feels that she should be managing things, she most women will go into um, into motherhood with some expectation of um, what it's going to be like for her, um, and and what the role of a mother is. And if she is in a situation where she is unable to give um, what she feels is required at the time, then she will feel guilt about it. Wow. Um, you know, f- uh, feeding is probably the, the biggest, most, most emotive one that comes comes out. That's incredible that women feel that way. Has any research been done on why women feel this? 
Um, there has been some really interesting research, some great social research that was um, that has been conducted on this. I, I will make there's a couple of studies that I'll make available um, for listeners after the show. Um, the Aber et al. study looked at um, how a woman adapts to motherhood and um, the types of things that do uh, affect her. Um, feeling of functionality in the world, um, things like whether her baby is a high-needs baby or a lower-needs baby, uh-huh. um, how attached she feels to the baby, um, how supported she feels in her relationships and how in control of her day-to-day life she feels, um, whether she's got a social life and, and how much time she has for herself. Um all of those things are going to feed into how well she feels she's she's adapting and um, how on top of life she is. So let's talk about some practice tips for improving postnatal wellness. What can you share with us? Um, okay, well, I think the most important thing is to start thinking about this early on. So incorporate it into um, pregnancy care. Help mum to... Review her support networks. Start a list of people that might be able to help her in that time, mm. um, and make sure that those people are aware that she would like help during that time as well. Right. Um, and I, we, there was um, some research. One of those research papers that I mentioned before actually talks about. Um, mothers having this expectation of social support, but not actually communicating that to the people that they expect that from. So <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really important part <laughs> of, of getting help. Um, you can't necessarily rely on yourself to know what you need during that time. Um, sometimes just going into it with a good plan is, is very useful and the only person that can know is, is the mother herself. Yeah. And a written plan because you do get pregnancy brain. Absolutely. <laughs> baby brain. Yeah, baby brain. Forgive me. Brain. Sorry, baby brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so help her to identify who can help and what her expectations are to them and help her to communicate that to the right people. Yeah. Um, so that can include her social network, but also healthcare professionals that um, you, you may be able to refer them to as well. So, um, you know, if I have breastfeeding problems, this is my local international board certified lactation consultant. Um, maybe the hospital might have somebody that see that can see you as an outpatient, but maybe you might need to go and see somebody in private practice. So have those options available yep. when you before you need them. Um, make sure that they know that perhaps them that their relationship's going to change with their partner and that they should have a conversation about those changes and those expectations that they have and how they might navigate things like um, increased stress in the household and not enough sleep and um, who's going to cook the dinner and who's going to clean the bathroom and all of those sorts of yeah, things absolutely. That, that might be important to a family. Um, I mean, I, I can still remember scheduling was the probably the most important thing for um, allowing my wife to get a dedicated amount of rest. So because mm-hmm. I'm a night owl, I took over mm-hmm. the evening shift 
and then Lee was able to get a, a good night's rest and I, and she'd wake up earlier because she's a, a morning mm. person. So mm. it was really, really interesting just how powerful that simple staggering the workload was. Of course, mm. you know, oh. men are typically lazy when it comes to household chores and women, you know, soldier on through and run themselves ragged. So I think this is a call out to all men, all expectant fathers, partners. <laughs> You know, well, I think sometimes lift your game. Also, <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, I do see, and I do see quite a lot of those dads in my work. Yeah. But I yep. also see probably the majority of them that do want to be helpful and that do want to do the right thing, but they no. are absolutely clueless as to what it is that is needed from them at that time. Okay, and they just need somebody to say, "This is what I need you to do." Right now, the the mindless drone. We just <laughs> we just need to yeah. tell. <laughs> but that's actually a really important point because, as you know, Steve Biddle's raised. There's there's often this real, and it can be a, a guilt. It can be I don't know what you need from me. I want to be yeah. useful at the moment. I'm not, and this is frustrating the hell out of me. There are many. A lot of the time, people think, oh, I can feed the baby. That'll that that will take the pressure off. But a lot of the time, that's the one thing that needs to be left up to the mum because milk is made by having a baby at the breast. Um, so sometimes um, taking the baby and bottle feeding the baby is not necessarily going to be the most helpful thing, yeah. but enabling mum to take the time to sit down and feed without feeling guilty about not doing other things or um, having to worry about all of the other things those are the sorts of things that really need to be to, to, that a mother really needs help with generally. Yeah. When you've got, you know, being a lactation consultant, I know, and we all favour breast, you know, breastfed is best. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There are some practicalities in here. And, mm -hmm. you know, when the mother is simply just worn out and needs a rest. Mm -hmm. And so what's your opinion? How do you tackle that, that issue of supping of, you know, like, that that skin to skin love, right, um, mm -hmm. is the best initiator of a letdown reflex. That mm -hmm. that feeling of bub, um, mm -hmm. but when you've got a cold hard breast pump sucking at your breast, it yeah. doesn't have that same initiation. So, what are you, what's your thoughts around having bubby near while you're expressing, so that mm -hmm. you have enough milk both for bub now and later? Ideally, if if mum feels that she needs to get um, a stash of milk put away so that she's got some for when she wants to go out or if she um, needs a good stretch of sleep throughout the night and somebody can take the pressure off by feeding expressed milk, then um, ideally it's best to wait until the milk supply is well established. So usually that happens in around six to eight weeks, although it can take a lot longer than that for some women. So... Um, if she can just for the first six weeks just focus on establishing a milk supply and that's her only job um, and she can get to that point, then that's that's fantastic. If she does need then to express, to get a, a freezer stash going, then having Bob close by while she expresses can be really, really helpful um, because you do, as you, as you said before, you do get that feedback from even just looking at photos of, of your baby can help to get yeah. a down reflex going. Um, things like recording 
cute noises that your baby makes, you know, when they're lying in bed and make those cute little sucking sounds or um, crying or those sounds can also help to trigger a letdown reflex. Yeah. And any woman, any any mother will know this when they go to the supermarket. Even That's another right. baby's cry, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Soaked my shirt again. <laughs> yep. yep, good old flannels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sm- having smell reminders, um, sound reminders, um, even expressing in the same place every time. So if you need to make friends with a breast pump, do it in your favourite rocking chair, do it. <laughs> Making friends with the, the breast place. pump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, some women really do need to get very, very intimate with a breast pump. There are some mm. breast pumps that look like more like torture devices. <laughs> yes, there I are. hope they've improved <laughs> since our day. <laughs> some of them are a bit too um, complicated and fandangled. Yeah. And, and one of the great skills that you can learn, hand expressing is a really handy skill Yeah. Um, for, a, for a mum to learn. So you know, add that one to the bag of tricks. Yeah, absolutely. So what about things like, you know, if a mother feels that, dare I say the word, doing damage, or, you know, what about infant eczema? Um, mm-hmm. How do you... How do you help the mother to identify things that might be an issue for her baby? If, if a mum thinks that it's her milk that's um, maybe making her baby um, colicky or have gastrointestinal problems or eczema, I always start with a, an elimination diet but trying to keep it fairly basic because um, you can't overwhelm a new mother with a crazy diet. Yeah, you've still got to make it nutritionally complete as well. Um, that's right. It has to be good, nutritious food. So I only um, try to eliminate foods as necessary. So I would start with um, with the most highly allergenic foods. So start with removing dairy and um, wheat to start with. I'd look at also maybe shellfish and tree nuts and peanuts if it was a um, a skin um, allergy. Um, I'd also look at um, making looking for interruptions in the microbiome development as well. So um, perhaps having um, interventions during the birthing process um, or antibiotic treatment during or after birth. Um, in those cases, I would recommend a good probiotic regime for both mum and baby to help um, microbiome development and to make sure that that's not contributing to any kind of allergic issues. There's a real trick to that, isn't there? Like, the, you know, mm. the research shows positive effects when you start it in pregnancy for the for the last yes. trimester of pregnancy. Um, yes. So you've got to really be really on your game to identify the the potential, the atopic potential before birth um, because if they started probiotics given to either mother or bub after birth, it just didn't work. So you mm-hmm. really need to be on your game. You do, and you do need to make sure that you're using the right strain for that's the job right. as yep. well. So um, that's lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. Yes. Yeah, there's, that's true. There um, are some. There is a, a product that does have a strain that's isolated from breast milk that has very good research as well. Yeah, this, this is certainly an ongoing area. You know, um, 
now people are looking more at um, multiple strains, identified strains, and, and seeing what the effects they are. So we'll put all of this research up on the fxmedicine.com.au website so that people can educate themselves about not just the research that's happened, but also the upcoming research. It's very exciting stuff. Mm, it's a, definitely a growing area. Absolutely. And of course, probiotics should always be used in the context of, of diet. So what about things like, you know, you and I have spoken about this earlier, traditional foods? Um, yeah, well, uh, obviously with our cultural diversity in Australia, uh, practitioners, practitioners are going to come across um, new mums that are embracing their cultural practices and um, and their traditional foods. And I find um, when, when I go out and, and visit a new mum that, Typically, the Chinese mums and the Indian mums, um, they're being nurtured with traditional foods, um, which are designed to be very nurturing and warming and building of health and very easy to digest. Um, and, and that can really help women that are living outside of their country of birth to um, feel more connected um, and um, it also helps to build their health. And I feel that those practices and those foods should really be encouraged. And that's another thing that women can build into their care plan. They can look at what what kinds of foods are traditionally used during the postpartum recovery period um, in my culture or in my family. Are there, is there anything special there that I can bring through and, and um, incorporate that into my care plan. Yeah. And this this could also help with the inclusion of family and things like that as well, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, that's such a good job to give to your family. Please make me some nice nourishing meals so that I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And so that I can nurture myself easily. What about things like mindfulness? Um, when should this be taught to expectant mothers and indeed fathers? Uh, mindfulness is an incredibly useful tool to teach throughout pregnancy. And um, because it's a skill and it requires practice, yeah. I think it needs to be taught during pregnancy. Um, it's a skill that's helpful for anybody that's undergoing a stressful situation. So for expectant mums and dads, um, it's it's going to come in handy to deal with the anxiety of um, pregnancy and the upcoming birth. Even if things are going wonderfully, there's there's always going to be this background niggle there um, about what's to come. And mindfulness can be very helpful to help keep you in the present moment and not to let those anxieties and fears overtake. So... Um, yeah, good good one to practice during pregnancy, good one yeah. to teach during pregnancy. And there's even some awesome apps nowadays Nowadays on, yeah. on your smartphones. Uh, it's just mm. amazing what's out there that's, you know, really quite useful to help in getting into the moment, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's one called Mind the Bump, which I find fantastic. Ah. Um, and it has just short little exercises that you can do. Yeah. Um, there's also another app um, put out by ACT, so that's based on the acceptance and commitment therapy principles of um, 
helping families to identify their values and um, just finding moments in the day to check back in that you're um, acting in accordance with those values. Ah, that's really cool. Mm. ACT, A-C-T. Yeah, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, It's a free little app that just sends you little reminders during the day. Things like pay attention to the most distant sound that you can hear right now. Right. Um, So just things that take a few seconds and just remind you to stay in the present um, and to act in accordance to your values and your principles. Yeah, I can just imagine new mothers, just most distant sound, baby crying, most distant sound, baby crying. Baby <laughs> yeah, <that's> baby. Right. <laughs> it's interesting because you've got to listen beyond the most overwhelming sound <laughs> yes. in the environment. <laughs> Husband, take baby away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find those birds chirping. Yeah. Like, oh, yes, they're still there. <laughs> yeah. Julie, I have to cover just some things. What shouldn't we do? What do we need to be mindful of to raise a red flag? You know, we've raised one before regarding PTSD. Um, It often goes undiagnosed, unrecognised. What do we need to be aware of to recognise it? We need to not let it get lost in the overwhelm of the postpartum period. So, we can't just keep saying to mums, it's it's normal, it's normal, it's normal, it's just, you know, it, 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 it's just adjustment. If, if a mum is sitting in front of you and indicates that she's struggling or you feel that she's struggling and she's not able to verbalise that she's struggling, then it, it's important to investigate that fully and to um, refer on as required. I think refer um, early as well. Absolutely. Refer quickly. Um it's very, very common in the postpartum period to, to suffer from depression, anxiety, or, or even PTSD. And, and the earlier these things are picked up on, the better. So any red flag, any time a mum says, look, I'm really not sure that this is normal, just um, have it investigated. Yeah. And there are loads of things that we can do as integrative professionals to be able to... Um, assist in that time but I I do feel that it's very appropriate to refer to a wider network for investigation and um, interdisciplinary um, collaboration. Responsible and expert care and so well said. Julie thank you Mm -hmm. so much for taking us through. This is a real complex issue it's not it's not a light sort of podcast. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more education that needs to be undertaken before you'd feel anywhere near competent in helping women through this. Um, but I thank you so much for um, in taking us through the tip of the iceberg today on FX Medicine. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. To conclude his distinguished career, legendary Australian herbalist Dennis Stewart will present his final course, a professional extension in herbal medicine. Commencing on the 23rd of November 2019, this 12-day intensive course will be held over a period of 12 months on the New South Wales Central Coast. This will be your last opportunity to participate in detailed learning with Dennis covering relevant, effective herbal prescriptions to treat an expansive range of conditions. For more information and to register, please go to lakespa.com.au.